1: I didn't get an exact count, but there were about 20 veterans sitting in a circle in lawn furniture, and there was one man seated at the center of the group who once worked as a contractor with the Department of Energy. Every man sitting in that late May sun has a few things in common. Their ages range from late 60s to early 70s. They all spent a few months in the Marshall Islands in a place called the Innewetok Atoll at some point from 1977 to 1979. And most of them, most, not all, have illnesses that until the last few years didn't make any sense to them. Tell me how you're doing.
2: My health's going down. Uh, I've got like three different cancers and my heart's, you know, just barely hanging in there. I've had a
3: Widowmaker heart attack done died once and come back. I've had two detached retinas and one cataract surgery in my right eye, and one detached retina and two cataract surgeries in my left eye.
1: And you believe that is from the N.I.
3: Talk- Correct. There's no history of it in the family either side. No known cause of factor of never been in an accident, no sports, uh, one boxing, skydiving. The doctors have no idea, but they say ionizing radiation can attack the eyes sometimes up to 50, 60 years after exposure that it gradually weakens the, whatever's in there, I'm not an ophthalmologist. I had gotten a terrible psoriasis. I mean, all over my body, within a matter of
0: four hours. It went from my wrist, poof, just covered my whole body. I went to the doctor, I go, what's going on here?
2: he goes, you
0: got the worst case of psoriasis I ever seen in my life. Even though I'm healthy as a horse, I, all three of my kids had birth defects and, doesn't make sense because I there's nothing wrong with me. I'm perfectly healthy, but all three of them had birth. I lost my middle daughter, my youngest daughter, from transposition of the major arteries. We lost her at 18. All the guys that did pass away had multiple cancers at one time, yeah. which is not even close to be a normal. This is
1: Tomorrow Town, Tennessee. This is the podcast that tells the stories of the people who call the Tennessee Valley home, explores the problems they face and the people, some elected, some not, working to find solutions. Since early 2022, I have researched, conducted interviews, and told the stories of a few thousand people who were sent to a tropical paradise in the late 1970s, and most have been fighting serious illnesses in the years since. If you were to look down from the sky over the island of Ruinet and the Inuitok Atoll in the Marshall Islands, you would see a large concrete dome. Large, almost 380 feet in diameter, roughly 18 inches thick. This is the story of what is under that dome and the story of the people who put what they put in there. And to be honest, the telling of this story comes with a lot of details and many unanswered questions. And I plan to explain that the best I can in this episode and in episodes in the future. But we start with what happened in a nutshell. In the 1940s and 50s, the United States government tested atomic and nuclear weapons in the Marshall Islands. And for that to happen, they had to move the Marshallese people who lived there someplace other than their island homes. That place where they were moved for many was here in America. And they are still here right now as you are listening to this story. Many of these islands are uninhabitable, even though the men you'll hear from in this story worked and lived there back in the 1970s. In the 70s, there was a plan by the U.S. government to go into those islands where those atomic and nuclear weapons were tested and clean up the radioactive fallout so the Marshallese people could go back home. So from 1977 to 1979, a few thousand people, military members, civilian contractors, some others, were sent there to clean up the fallout, the waste, radioactive debris, that top layer of soil on the islands. Most of that was put inside what is called the Cactus Crater. That crater was made from one of those weapons tests codenamed Cactus. And those military members and civilian contractors on the mission, they filled up that crater with that radioactive debris. Then they put the dome over it. It's important to realize, at the time of this work, and even now, it's among the most radioactive places on Earth.
0: And this whole story gets very messy very quickly the very first thing they said is you're going to anna we talk what's that oh it's a beautiful tropical island this is navy veteran william walker he was there on the mission october 78 to april 79 they never mentioned anything about radiation or radioactive sand or any of that so kind of didn't know about it till after the fact
1: I spent a lot of time telling this story back in 2022. At the center of that reporting, two men who live in the Tennessee Valley. Carlos Bella lives in Dalton, Georgia. Those veterans sitting in a circle in the late May heat were sitting in Carlos's backyard. Bucky Holmes from Cleveland, Tennessee was also a major part of that reporting. They both spent months at ground zero of this mission. They both told me troubling information about what they were told to do. In the late 70s, These men were very young soldiers. They say any safety briefings they received were minimal at best. They say they were never trained in environmental cleanups and they had very little protective equipment from the elements that they lived in, worked in and breathed for months. This is from the first story I did with Bucky Holmes.
0: We wore shorts, Uh, our jungle boots, and we had yellow rubber covers over our our boots, and uh, that was
1: about it. This is a commendation letter Bucky received for his work in the Marshall Islands. It says in that letter you were wearing an anti-contamination suit. Right. Is that true?
0: No, that's not true at all.
1: I have heard a version of that story several times throughout my reporting on this from many of the men who were on this mission. And the topic of what they wore and a lack of protective equipment came up a lot a few weeks ago at Carlos's Backyard Reunion. This is Air Force veteran, Greg Liljestrom.
3: We got no, you can't do this or can't do that. The only thing you did was wear rubber boots, and a paper mask, that's all you had. But, you know, nobody was there telling you what you could do or can't do.
1: Army veteran John Street showed me several pictures of people wearing yellow suits. He called them banana suits. They're designed to protect people from contamination.
0: They would put you in the banana suits and make you run around the island two laps, just so you could get acclimated to the heat. That's what they told us. And then they, uh, after that, They took them up and waited for the next group of newbies to come in and they'd do the same thing and they'd put them up. In one photo, nine people
1: were dressed from head to toe in yellow suits with hoods. The men are also wearing
0: gas masks and boots. Never would see them on any job site. More from William Walker. When you see the yellow suits, I think I saw saw them one time in a picture. No one was wearing them when I got there or masks or breathers of
2: any kind.
1: The people who worked on the islands have illnesses of all sorts, ranging from cancers to osteoporosis. They can't definitively say which illnesses are directly the result of the mission, but some of the illnesses are consistent with what can happen when exposed to high levels of radiation. There were a little more than 8,000 people total on the mission, but just over 2,300 worked on the islands, actually moving the debris into the Cactus Crater. It is not fully clear at this time how many of that 2,300 are still living today. And there are stories about this mission that are truly hard to believe. Carlos Vela told me the story you're about to hear. This is from a report we aired last year. And as you listen to this, remember, they're working to put all of that radioactive material in that giant cactus crater.
2: And some of the debris that we picked up didn't just go inside there. We actually just dumped it into the lagoon.
1: You heard that right. They took radioactive material and dumped it into the water in the middle of the Inuitoc Atoll. Carlos says he had just turned 18. He was following orders, and he also says he had very limited knowledge of how dangerous this material was. If he had known, there's no chance he would have done what he's about to tell you. We drank the water out of the lagoon we didn't have back bottled water back then. There was no such thing. We're talking 1978. So we had a, a watering plant and they would suck the water out of the lagoon, filter it, and we would take a bath in it. We would uh, drink
3: from it. Uh, we had our teas, Kool-Aids, you know, our soups, everything.
1: There are lots of stories that are hard to understand. This is Paul Griego. He's the DOE contractor I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. The
0: three worst
1: islands were, without doubt, were Runit, Injiby, and Almond. This is Greg Liljestrom again.
3: Every day I ran six miles, and I ran all the way out to the end of Almond, and all the way back, and did that every single day, twice there was a There no day.
1: guard standing there saying, no. you can't go on this Well, I looked at a problem.
3: picture on the Facebook page, and I looked at it closely, and then I blew it up, and it says, off limits. That's when I contacted Paul, and I said, was there a sign there? Was that restricted area?
1: So an Island, where Greg did his daily workouts, was off limits earlier in the mission because of contamination. But when Greg got there, no one told him that. And apparently, the sign that was once there was not there when Greg arrived in 1979.
3: It was just surprising when I seen that picture and I blew it up, I'm going, I never seen those signs saying it was off limits and no one ever got briefed that we couldn't go over on that island.
1: These are just a few accounts of individual experiences and there is so much more and more questions to examine, such as why would Bucky's letters say he wore an anti-contamination suit when every person I talked to who was there says that just did not happen. And they have photos of them working, wearing next to no protective gear whatsoever. Who would let that happen and why? And what are the costs of those decisions today? Also, what about those people who were forced to leave their homes now decades ago? And even today, those islands where they once lived are still uninhabitable. This is another in a We Talk veteran, Ray Hampton. When We did show up for the reunion. This is one of the only reunions this group has ever had. They did have one a few years ago in Springdale, Arkansas. That is where a lot of the people who were on those islands were moved to and live today. The Micronesian
3: people didn't know who we were and we introduced ourselves. But what was really neat is the older people, the older women and all that was there, that had grown up they were little bitty kids at the time
2: they got deported and taken off the islands. And uh, they found us and I've never, had so many old women come up and hugging me and thanking me for, you know, what we've done. And uh, I said, you know, even though it was a failed mission, we did everything we could to, to make it happen. On this
1: podcast, we say we tell the stories of the people who call the Tennessee Valley home. We discuss their problems and examine the people working on solutions. Well, on this story, the solutions part, still unsettled. Last year, Congress passed the PACT Act which is a giant piece of legislation that helps veterans who have been exposed to all sorts of toxic material. The atomic cleanup veterans are included in that bill. In many ways, it was the first time it was acknowledged in any official way that the people who were on this mission may have been harmed. Some veterans from the mission have submitted claims to the VA and are in the process of getting more help. There are others who have submitted claims and tell me they have been denied. When I talked to Carlos Vela last year, he told me he had a zero disability rating. He has a list of illnesses, including cancer, and he told me his claim under the PACT Act was also denied. And there's also the issue of all the years of suffering these veterans have been through before this bill was passed. And what about the DOE and civilian contractors who were sent there? They also have many of the same illnesses, but are not covered by the PACT Act. And what about the ones who were there and have passed away due to their illnesses? I have done a lot of reporting on this story and there is still much, much more work to be done. And I will continue to do the work. I have posted a link with several of the previous video stories I have done on this subject in the show notes of this episode. Please follow this show, Tomorrow Town, Tennessee, so you don't miss the reporting I'm working on right now. You can find this podcast in all the places you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, and many other places. Tomorrow Town, Tennessee is a production of News Channel 9, Fox Chattanooga, and Sinclair Broadcast Group Chattanooga. We'll be back real soon with a brand new episode.